1: Welcome to our Catechism class and we've come to Lord's Day 41a in the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 41, I'm going to take it in two sections, 41a and 41b. And the subject that's dealt with in this class is the Seventh Commandment. Um, and of course that implies adultery. The Seventh Commandment is found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. So in this class we're going to ask the question what is adultery precisely in the terms of the catechism and then in our next class God willing we're going to ask the question why is adultery so appealing to sinful mankind. So what is adultery is our subject for today. I'd like you to turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 to verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 to verse 8 and read the passage and then when you come back uh, we'll be ready to begin our lesson.
0: You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy.
1: there is no doubt that we live in a very deeply sexualised society. A generation ago it was fine to promote cars and alcohol using salacious images of girls. The red top papers in those days had their page 3 girls, they appeared in semi-naked poses for the enticement of their male readership. And of course the feminist lobby dealt with all of that. We rarely see such images being used in the newspapers or on our advertising screens nowadays. It would be considered to be wrong and deeply offensive to women. And yet our society hasn't been cleaned up any. We are actually more sexualized than we even were in those days. Children, Small children are given sex lessons in school from very early ages, often without the knowledge or even the consent of their parents. Marriage has been devalued, it is little more than a legal contract under the authority and jurisdiction of the state. Very few weddings these days actually take place in the solemnity of a church setting. Same sex marriages have made a mockery of the institution of marriage as laid down under God's law in the scriptures. And so now with marriage devalued it's has become in many cases a temporary arrangement. With no fault divorce being an easy option, and the temptation to stray always seems to be on the menu. And of course when we watch the television, if we watch the TV soaps or some of the drama programmes that are on, it's commonplace, it's the example set um, by those whom we should be looking up to in society as well. Those in places of power and respect, we look at their lives and what do we find? Uh, Adultery, living with people they're not married to, having children outside of wedlock, and so on. Now we need to remember as Christians that God hates adultery, hates marital unfaithfulness of any kind. And that's the very point that the Catechist drives home in Lord's Day 41. So what does the catechism say in question 108 lord's day 41 the catechist asked the question what does the seventh commandment teach us and the answer is that all unchastity is cursed by god we must therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage So when a man and a woman are married and when they consummate the marriage they become one flesh. They belong to each other. Jesus uh, said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Mark chapter 10 verse 7 to 9. Jesus says, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So whenever a man and a woman are joined together in marriage, they are intended to be inseparable for the rest of their lives. No third party is to come between husband and wife. Adultery, therefore, is a very serious sin. So what does the Catechist tell us about it? Well, it tells us that God's curse is upon all unchastity. God's curse. Now, that's very strong language, isn't it? Um, all sexual activity outside of marriage is sin. It is all unchastity. Human sexuality is so sacred. It's a wonderful gift from God within marriage. And any form of unclean behaviour actually attracts the curse of God. And that's serious. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Tells us that marriage is honourable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God's curse is upon all unchastity because any form of sexual activity outside of marriage is sinful. It's a sin. Now, I want to develop this by looking at an illustration. From twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen, a man called Tim Farron, MP, was the leader of the Liberal Democratic Party in Great Britain. And he was the elected Member of Parliament for Westmoreland and Lonsdale. He was an inspirational leader. His leadership of the party was widely praised. His first conference speech as leader was very well received. And so when the 2017 election came, he was leading the party. And doing well. He appeared on a television program and was asked by the interviewer is homosexuality a sin? Farron prevaricated. He evaded the question and so it became a national issue. Featured on the main news channels. You see the thing was that Farron was and I'm sure still is a Christian and his answer from a Christian perspective should have been along the lines of the Heidelberg Catechism. That all unchastity is cursed by God. That all unchastity is sin. His answer should have been a simple, yes it is. Because all sexual activity outside the marriage of a man and a woman is sin. And because it's sin, I cannot condone it. But the pressure piled on. And was forced under pressure from his party leadership to say that homosexuality was not sinful. And he did. So in remorse and repentance, Farron stated that he would step down as party leader following the election, stating that he had become torn between living as a faithful Christian and serving as a political leader. He's still an MP. God hates uncleanness sexual uncleanness and those who practice it have no place whatsoever in God's kingdom and the alternative is to spend eternity in the lake of fire under the very curse of God the catechist again all unchastity is cursed by God Now the souls of men and women are at stake here and Christians are required to speak up and to tell the truth and not be afraid of modern opinion to call sinners of every shade to repent of their sin and to turn to Christ for forgiveness and salvation remembering that we are sinners too and that we too needed that repentance needed salvation, needed forgiveness. So God's curse is upon all unchastity the second part of question 108 says that we as Christians must therefore detest it detest unchastity from the heart we must not tolerate sexual uncleanness we must detest it right from the very core of our being now remember in our last lesson we talked about the root cause of murder being anger in the heart Remember that we saw that there was a kind of righteous anger, that we could be angry and sin not, that there was anger with a valid cause. Now this is one of those legitimate things that Christians must hate. We must hate all forms of sexual immorality. We must hate it from the very core of our being. But when we talk about something that affects the heart, we're talking the language of sanctification. And the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, and our bodies, therefore, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Read 2 Corinthians 1 and 22, and Ephesians 3 and 17, and Galatians 4 and verse 6. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer, and because of that, the believer will be revolted by sin, even by his or her own sin and will turn away from it. And when sin is fostered in the heart, the believer will repent of it and seek forgiveness. So when sexual thoughts and and desires enter our heart, we should recognize that it's sinful. We should hate it and loathe it and ask the Lord to forgiveness of to forgive it as we repent of it. That's where 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 And verse 3 to 8, is so important. Paul says there, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. The third part of the answer. To the question, what does the 7th commandment teach us? Tells us that we should live chaste and disciplined lives. In other words, that our lives should set a good example in morality. Let's go back to Paul again. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God we're not to be the same as people who do not know God we're not to be the same as those who have never met the Saviour we're to live different lives one of the most sexualized programmes on television these days has been Emmerdale Years ago, when Emmerdale began, it was simply a tale of everyday country folk with sheep and cows and a farm, family complications. Nowadays, it's a polemic for the LGBT revolution. In Emmerdale, some time ago, there was a vicar called Ashley. Ashley was a rogue. Ashley jumped into bed with unmarried unmarried women who were not married to him. And his successor, the woman vicar, Harriet, was no better. There was a temporary vicar in between. Um, When Ashley was ill, his stand-in replacement was a man who was drinking in the pub one episode when he overheard a couple making arrangements to cohabitate, to move in together. So the vicar turned from the bar with his glass in his hand and he loudly declared, You do know that sex before marriage is sin? The whole pub went quiet and everyone looked at him with shocked expressions. How could he say such a thing? After a pause, he laughed, held up his hands and said, I'm only joking. Oh, there was relief and laughter all around. I mean, who believes that sort of thing nowadays? Emmerdale is just a joke soap opera. But it's broadcast into people's homes every night of the week. And I wonder how often the scenario is that Ashley portrayed is or like the vicar portrayed rather is played out in real life. How many Christians ruin their testimony and bring the gospel into disrepute with dirty jokes and innuendo, with flirting, with adulterous behaviour. The Catechist reminds us that our lives should be different from the people who live around us. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 to 5 But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Lastly in this question, question 108, we are reminded that the commandment of God that we should not commit adultery is applicable to those who are married and to those who are single. It's within and outside of holy marriage. That's important for nowadays. It's worth noting. That the catechist call for chastity from people who are single is applicable to modern society. Sex before marriage is now commonplace. I must be naive. I didn't realise just how prevalent this was among the population until in 2002 I arrived to take up ministry in Belfast after years in rural areas. A young couple with a child arrived in the church one Sunday and after church they asked if they could have their baby as they called it, christened. Now, After I would explained that we could only offer them a thanksgiving service if they are not believers and they had agreed to that, I decided that I would call and see them at home. And it was only then when I went round to their home that I discovered that they weren't actually married, just living together with a baby. And so I advised them, because this is the first time I'd ever met such a situation. I advised them that before they could have the baby dedicated, it would be well for them to get married. They said they couldn't afford to get married. After all, they'd just furnished their house and they would need to wait until they could afford it. I offered them help with that. I offered them the services of the church free of charge. I explained that we had a sort of a hardship fund with plenty of money in it. And we would use it to buy food for a reception, which we would serve for them in the church hall. That our ladies' catering committee would be pleased to cater for them. I hadn't asked them at that point. They said they would think about it. But they really wanted the fairy tale wedding. And it would cost about 20000 at that time. They returned to the church the next week. They didn't come in to attend a service they came in to inform one of the deacons at the door that the Methodists had agreed to baptise the baby and that they didn't need to get married first. And they stopped coming to our church. Now, did I do the right thing? Because we never saw that young couple again and, of course, I got the blame. But the law of God is that all sex, outside of the marriage of a man and a woman, is sin and that includes people who are not married. So the act of adultery is more than just some man having a casual fling with a woman which is absolutely reprehensible. It's more than a one night stand or a marriage break up caused by infidelity. The concept of adultery includes any form of sexual activity outside of marriage. So our catechist asks, what does the seventh commandment teach us? And he answers it by telling us that God's curse, a serious matter, God's curse is upon all unchastity. He tells us that six Christians must not tolerate any form of sexual uncleanness, but should detest it right from the very core of their being. He tells us that Christians should live lives that are a good example in morality to others. And he tells us that singles are not exempt from God's law.